When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Principles of Success, and today's book review is The Tipping Point. And this is a really cool book. I really love this book. It is not necessarily a marketing book, but it is a fantastic book for just life in general, but especially if you want to do marketing. The Tipping Point is a book on the plague, or plagues to be specific. It's looking at human behavior through a plague model mindset. So because of coronavirus, this is also a decent book just to see. But it, in truth, it is more about a book on trends and social behaviors and market adoption, which is marketing, uh, than anything else. But there's, because it's a law of the universe kind of book, um, just exploring this interesting fact about human behavior and about diseases that makes it a really cool take on the book. And just to put it in Malcolm Gladwell's words, which is the author, the tipping point is that magic moment when an idea, trend, or social behavior crosses a threshold, tips, and spreads like wildfire. So at one point, um, it starts to spread rapidly. Up till then, it's a grind and it's a pain to get things moving. But once you hit that magic point, things start accelerating rapidly. And there's a cool game called Plague Inc. where you actually try and destroy the world with a pandemic that you create and you can do all sorts of different stuff. But to really see this tipping point in play, uh, that's a fantastic way to see it just as a fun game. Because once it the first like 20% of the population in a country super hard to infect. But once you hit some magic number, it, it's different for each of the countries in the game, um, suddenly it goes from only getting a couple new cases every single day to thousands to millions of cases in a very rapid succession. Uh, so that's just continuing with the plague analogy, which is throughout this book. But there is three main laws and key takeaways that you get from this book. And the first law is the law of the few. And this is about, it's a very select few people that make all the difference. The Pareto distribution, which is 80% of um, people produce, or 80% of something, produ or 20% of something produces 80% of the output. There we go. So for instance, 20% of people make 80% of the money. 20% um, of those make 80% of that money. That's just a money example of that. Um, so, select people have a profound impact compared to other people. And there's three types of categories of these people. The first one is the connectors. And the connectors are those people, and you all know them, they're the people that know everybody. And you talk to that person and that person knows a whole bunch of people 
And if you really think about your friend group, is your social circle a circle? Or is most of your friends originate from one friend? Uh, uh, the example he uses in the book for a great connector is... Um, oh shoot. Paul Revere, there we go. In the Revolutionary War, Paul Revere and many other people traveled in the late night to alert the township, the countryside, that the British were coming. But why is Paul Revere the one that made it into the history books that everybody knows? Well, it's because Paul Revere was a connector. He knew lots and lots of people. And when he told people that the British were coming, those people then went and told people. So Paul Revere sp spread the word much more effectively than others, even though he got captured at one point, um, started out later, and all sorts of other stuff. He still ended up spreading the word and becoming more famous um, because he knew people, so those people spread the word more effectively, and the people in charge knew him because he knew everybody. So when they thought of, oh, that's, who was it that shared the word? Oh, it was Paul Revere. So a connector knows everybody. I am going off on tangents really hard tonight. I apologize. Uh, so that's the first one. And then the next one is mavens. And a perfect example of a maven is myself. These are the people who know a bunch and they wanna share what they know. And they will talk and talk and talk and help you as much as they can they're the ones that know every little detail of certain stuff, and there's mavens in every category. Like, my little brother is my maven for computer stuff. I know a decent amount of, about computers, but he can techno-babble for hours on end about computers. So when I have a computer question or need something done with computers, I send it to him, because he knows what he's doing. So mavens are just the experts. And they're the experts that want to help. And their main motivation is that they want to share what they know. And that's a maven. And the last one is the salesman. These are the persuasive people. These are the people who can get people to take action. To go and do the things. To buy the product. And these are the three different categories of people that really affect the spreadability of your idea, of your trend, whatever it is. The connectors are the people who know everybody. They're the ones who come into contact and spread the disease. I'm just going to stick with disease things because it's easier. Uh, the mavens are the ones who can teach you how to more effectively spread the disease and get people excited to get the disease. The, the analogy doesn't work quite well with mavens. And the salesmen are the ones who can convince you to actually go and do the things that will help you get the disease to go and implement the idea, to buy your product. So that's the law of the few. Find these people, befriend them, develop your skills to be one of these people, if not multiple of these people, so that way you can then spread your idea more effectively. The second law is the law is the stickiness factor. Uh, if your idea or your product is not memorable, if people do not think about it other than the moment that they hear it and it goes in one ear and out the other and then you're going your disease isn't going to spread because for the behavior change for the marketing to take effect people have to remember it a 
example that he uses in this is uh, Sesame Street. Sesame Street needed to be very rememberable for kids for it to achieve its purpose of teaching kids. If kids were just entertained, then they were failing because Sesame Street's purpose, the reason why it was created, was to teach kids. So they would fail if the knowledge that they were trying to teach wasn't actually learned. And to make something more memorable, it doesn't have to be some big change. It can be something small. Um, a great example is just tweaking the language of a caption or something to be slightly different. Uh, there was a ad that he used the example of. It was cigarettes. I don't remember what the ad was, but they used a slightly grammatically incorrect sentence instead of a correct sentence because it would stick in people's minds just a little bit better because they'd go, wait, that's not quite right, but it would stick in their heads. And it was something like, as cigarette tastes right. And so they were like, well, that's not grammatically correct, but this cigarette tastes right like a cigarette should. So they would then go buy that cigarette and it became one of the most popular cigarette brands in America. So that's, they changed one word and increase their market share dramatically. And then the third is the power of context. And I actually almost fell to this law just an hour or so ago. The power of context is people are operating off of instinct a majority of the time. And when something is out of place, they take those cues, and we'll talk about cues more when we talk about habits, in The Power of Habit, which is a book review I'm going to do in a few weeks. And they will then adopt a certain behavior from that cue. So the example he uses is the broken window. Um, if, the, you, if the house looks pristine, you might not mess with it. But if the window is broken and it looks abandoned, you might graffiti it. And if it's graffitied, you might throw your trash at it. And if it's got graffiti in a broken window, if you're a hobo, you might sleep in it. Whereas if the house was nice and looked decent, most people would leave it alone because of context. Um, and how I almost fell prey to this law was I was at the grocery store. And on my way out, I was taking my cart out. And I'm the person that always puts my cart back because of, I'm a good person. But the closest cart rack thing was a decent ways away. It was completely full and there was and near my car there was carts just abandoned in the parking lot. And just out of context, I almost without thinking about it just left my cart because I was like, well, everybody else is doing it and it must be okay. And I didn't actively think about this rule when I went, no, I need to put my cart up, but I did almost fall prey to this rule. So those are the three main things. And just to talk about the tipping point a little bit more in specific, the tipping point is a point in time. It takes very little time to go from nothing significant to rapid acceleration and change. That's the coolest part about this book. It might take a decent amount of time. It might take months. It might take years to get to the tipping point. But once the tipping point happens, then everything will accelerate at an extreme pace. And I'm going to use a bad example of the tipping point just to show 
how stark of a difference it can be in just a couple of days. And I'm going to use Hitler and the National Socialist German Workers' Party, also known as Nazis. And in America and most of Europe, um, Hitler is basically akin to Satan for most people. They're like, who's the evilest person in the world? Hitler. Even though he's um, actually not that... I am not going to say Hitler was a good person. Let's be clear about that. However, there is also plenty of much, much more evil people in the world than Hitler. But Hitler is still a pretty evil dude. So, but the in when I studied um, German history, specifically uh, the World War era, 20th century, um, I found out this, and it was kind of interesting. For the first decade of the Nazi party... They were the laughingstock of Germany. Um, in fact, a significant number of jokes that were popular at the time were all about Nazis and how stupid Nazis were. Because Nazis wanted authoritarian government control over the market and everything in every aspect of people's lives. And the First World War, the end results of the First World War, was the Germans getting rid of the aristocracy. They didn't want that anymore. So the idea that the Nazis were going to try and bring a worse version of it into uh, their country, they thought was stupid. Plus, Hitler made some um, poor judgment calls early on and got arrested. But I'm going off on tangents again. So, first decade of the Nazi party. Laughing stock of Germany. And then in a span of three days, the tipping point happened. Um, Hitler had gained just enough power to kind of be kind of like the, for simple terms, to be the head of police of the country. And so he had a decent amount of sway. And then the Kremlin building burnt down, which was a very nice building in Germany. And that threw Germany kind of into chaos. And the, I think it's prime minister, the president of Germany gave Hitler the authority to, the temporary authority, to arrest anybody and everybody that he felt that might have been involved with the burning down of the Kremlin. Because for my American friends, um, the Kremlin was the German equivalent to, like, the Statue of Liberty um, and, the, and the White House combined. They were it was the national icon. And so they were, the president was a little upset. And so he gave Hitler the authority to um, round up anybody who might have been involved. Well, it just so happened that the election was the next day. And Hitler rounded up everybody in the, uh, not everybody, but he basically rounded up enough people that the Nazis became the party in power. And... All of a sudden, Hitler was the guy in charge, and then he suspended the, the German constitution, and y'all know the cliff notes of that, kind of went a little crazy, tried to conquer the world, killed a whole bunch of people, and so, but for the first decade, he was the laughingstock of Germany, and then in a three-time, a three-day time period, he went from the laughingstock to basically the king the dictator. And so that's an example of a tipping point that is not so good. So 
use these tactics. They can be very effective, um, but also don't fall prey to these tactics. Try to resist them because bad things can happen. There's bad people out there who will want to use these tactics to get you to give them power, um, to buy their products, to give them your money. So with that, I am going to end it here for today. And I was a little rambly, I'm sorry, but hopefully you guys enjoyed and I will see you all next week.